0: to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, and this is where we'll be uh, focusing this morning, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as always in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Lord, because it's only in Christ, it's only in Jesus' name that we're forgiven. It's only in and through and by him that we can come before you at all. Because he and he alone is our mediator. He and he alone died in our place. He and he alone has redeemed us. And has made full payment for our sins through his broken body and shed blood on the cross. But because he has done all this, we come boldly because he's purchased us for you. And this morning as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that you would feed your sheep that you would comfort and encourage and exhort and convict and reprove your people through your word. Lord, this is your work. This is your word. These are your people. We open our mouths and we ask you to fill, fill it. And Lord, we also pray for any here this morning who do not know you, that you would save them, that you would show them their sin and their need of a Savior and how Christ is that perfect Savior. Lord, we ask that you would be at work even now, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and just as a reminder, uh. Paul, in this section, is listing out the great blessings that God the Father has given us in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse three. He says, "Blessed be our praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is he praising God? Well, because God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing." And then Paul goes on, and he lists out these blessings that the Father has given to us in the person of his Son. And so in verse 4, he lists out the blessing of election unto holiness. In verse 5, we have the blessing of adoption that uh, he he in love predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we have the blessing of redemption through his blood. We have the blessing of forgiveness of our sins. And now we're here in verse 11. where where Paul mentions the blessing of our heavenly inheritance. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning in verses 11. Really, we're only going to get through verse 12, I think. Uh, We'll see. Um, But he's here mentioning the blessing of our inheritance. He says, In him we have obtained, that is in Christ... God the Father has given us all these blessings in Christ. It's in Christ that we've been elected unto holiness. It's in Christ that we've been predestined unto adoption as sons. It's in Christ that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And now here in verse 11 we see it's in Christ that we have obtained an inheritance. And so we're going to consider this inheritance. And primarily, the one thing I want you to notice in this passage is that Paul is not merely telling us of the blessing of our heavenly inheritance. He's he he tells us, yes, God has given you this blessing, this, this inheritance, but he also, kind of at the center of this, he's telling, he tells us that God has given us everything that we need to be assured and to be certain, so that we can be certain of this inheritance. So he's giving us, not just telling us that God has given us an inheritance, but he also emphasizes all the things that God has given us that we might be assured that this inheritance is ours. In other words, Paul doesn't just want us to know that God has given us an inheritance. He wants us to know that God has given us everything that we need to be assured that this inheritance is truly ours. Right? God is not like us. That goes without saying, I think. Right? Um, But he's not like us. What What we do when we make promises is we generally... We break them and even when we fulfill them we sometimes kick ourselves that we made the promise in the first place right you do this with your kids you say if you do x y or z uh, we're gonna go to six flags if you do x y or z we're gonna go camping you know you have bad grades if for every a that you get on your report card you're getting a twenty dollar bill and your C average student brings home a report card with all A's, and you kick yourself. And you say, I, I hope that little Billy forgets that I made the promise. Finances are tight. <laughs> Why did I do that, right? <laughs> Why did I make that promise? God is not like that. He does not renege on his promises he does not regret his promises and in fact he insists that we know that not just that we know his promises that but that we memorize his promises that we rest our hope fully on his promises in, uh, in Sunday school at church we've been memorizing 1st uh, Peter chapter 1 and in 1st Peter chapter 1 we learn about our heavenly inheritance And uh, Peter there says that we have, through Christ, we have this inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. And then a few verses later, and I can't remember verse 13 or so, he says, he he exhorts the, the Christians that he's writing to. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and then he says this, And rest your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just say that you've been given this inheritance. He exhorts the people of God to rest their hope fully on this promised inheritance. Rest your hope fully on it. And when I'm a visual thinker, when I think of rest your hope fully on it, I think of someone plopping themselves down on the couch you know if you're not certain that a chair is going to hold you you sit down gingerly but when you plop yourself on the couch there's nothing ginger about it right (laughs) You, you you know you're you're confident that that thing is going to hold your weight so you plop yourself on the couch and this is what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 1, rest your hope fully. Put all of your weight on this promise. Rest your hope fully in this promise. And this is the thing about hope in Christianity, in the Bible. Hope is not wishing upon a star or crossing your fingers and hoping in this wishful thinking sense. Hope in the Bible is confidence. It's assurance that you that God has promised and he will fulfill his promises. It is a confidence. That's what we when we speak of hope, we are speaking about confidence that God will do what he said he will do. And that's really what our passage this morning is all about. Is yes, we've been given a promise of a heavenly inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. But God has not just given us this promise, he's given us everything that we need to be assured. He wants us to rest our hope fully in his pro- in this promise of this heavenly inheritance. And so, let's go ahead and dive in to these verses. In verse 11, we see our promised inheritance. He says, "In him." Now, of course, we can't really just move beyond those two first words, because it's the refrain of this entire section. He has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. In him. He, he chose us before the, in him, He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. It is in Christ. it is in Christ that we've been predestined unto adoption. This redemption is found in Christ. It's the constant refrain of this passage. And so you may be sitting there this morning, maybe you're not a Christian, and you're saying, well, this sounds great. An incorruptible, undefiled inheritance that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. I, I want that. Where do I get that? Well, the only place you can get that is in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. You know, there are certain minerals and gems and stones where you have to go to a... They're only found in... Actually, I learned about a new fish. Um, I didn't plan on bringing this up, so I can't remember the name of the fish, of course. It's, like a, it's called like a Devil's Canyon... It's the most rare fish in the world. And it's only found in... Uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it... Um, I probably shouldn't have brought it up because of that, but anyways, it's the most rare, I actually did a search on Google, what is the most rare fish in the world? Why do you Google those things? Because we live in 2023, 2024, but I searched for it in 2023, and it's only found in one place, and it's this canyon in Nevada. You want to get this rare fish, there's only one place that you can find it. It's not found anywhere else in the world. You want the blessings of the Father? It's found in one place. It's in Christ. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Do you want this inheritance? Do you want a heavenly inheritance in the presence of God, this infinite God? You can. We will never plumb the depths of His glory. We will never plumb the depths of His beauty. You look at what He's made, the, the mountains and the sea and the rivers and the stars, the planets, the constellations, and you look at the glory of what He's made, and these things are but a faint reflection of His glory. We will never plumb the depths of his glory and that's what heaven's all about. It's all about him. That's what our heavenly inheritance is all about. It's all about him. It's a place where you will never be bored because there's never you'll never get to the bottom of who this God is. And this what what eternity what our inheritance is all about is that we will be with him plumbing the depths of his beauty and glory and majesty every day, day after day after day, always minds blown. Never a break from the glory in a place without sickness, pain, or death. No sin. No backbiting. We'll be able to trust everyone perfectly no lying or stealing. No broken relationships. Not just peace without, but you all have peace within. You'll no longer be frustrated with yourself. What a thought. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm frustrated with myself all the time. Peace without and peace within. And let me just say this. If you're not a Christian, the only thing I have to say is, why not? Why not? Why are you not a Christian? Why would you not want this? And this is what is at offer in the gospel, a restored relationship with God in this heavenly inheritance. And you may say, well, you know, I do want this. And the answer is, you have to go to Christ. It's not found anywhere else. It's in Him that we have obtained an inheritance. You must go to Him and the way that you receive this gift, it's a gift of this inheritance, is by trusting in Christ, believing upon Him, resting your hope fully in Him and what he has done on your behalf by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. If you're not a, if, I know I'm kind of starting off with the evangelistic side of this. Maybe this should be toward the end, but why would you wait if you're not a believer? Why would you wait on this? Why would, you know, the, uh, Isaiah talks about how come, he, it's this free offer, come, buy money. Well, what are you going to buy it with? He says, well, it's without price. It's a free gift. I plead with you, if you're not a Christian, yes, you have the wrath of God abiding upon you because of your sin, But why should you come to Christ? Because of his goodness. Because of his love for you. Because of what he holds out for you. Yes, there is wrath. But ultimately, it's because he's good. Look at what he holds out to you. Don't let today go by without doing business with God. If you're a child... You're here, you sit under the preaching of the gospel every week, Pastor Gabe preaching, or in Sunday school. Have you responded to this gospel? There's an urgency in this. Because it's only found in Christ, and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And when such infinite grace is offered to you as a free gift to receive by faith, don't pass it up. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So Paul says that in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now this word obtained, is actually passive. It's passive, which means that this is not something that you earn. It's something that is bestowed upon you. You are a passive recipient of this gift of God's grace. You don't, you don't earn it. You are, it is bestowed upon you. It is conferred upon you. It is a gift of God's grace. Unmerited favor. You don't work for it. And there's nothing that you can do to earn it. It is completely and utterly a gift of God. And you are a passive recipient of it. And he goes on and he talks about the ground of this inheritance. You see in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, what is this inheritance? We receive this inheritance. We've obtained this inheritance. But what is the basis? What is the ground of our inheritance? What is it based upon? Well, it's based upon God's predestination of us. You see this in verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. What is the ground of this inheritance? How does this inheritance become ours? It becomes ours through the work of God in predestining us in eternity past. Which is Which is amazing. This word predestination. Often we talk about it when we were up in verse five. Predestination. It, it, it's a it's a compound word. If you remember, it means pre, meaning beforehand. You know, you think of a pregame interview, and then destination. Pre, beforehand. Destination. Where you're going to end up. Predestination is where God makes a decision about where you're going to end up. He makes. He determines beforehand where he's going to take you. That's what predestination is. And when did God predestine us? Before the foundation of the world. Before you were born. Before you had done either good or bad. God predestined you. He chose your destination beforehand, and we talked about this. Remember when we talked about adoption—that God, up in verse five, that in love He predestined us, uh, us unto adoption as sons. And we said, "What? What is when we think of predestination? You know, we we ask that we should be asking the question: What was God aiming at? What's this destination?" I'm, Think with my hands, right? Uh, When when God predestined us before the foundation of the world, what was he aiming at? What was this destination he was aiming at? Well, up in verse 5, we saw that he was aiming at our adoption, bringing us into his family as adopted sons. That's what he was aiming at in predestination. And remember, we talked about adoption and how adoption... The, in, in the ancient world, adoption was a common practice. And the, the way that adoption worked in the ancient world is that a man would adopt a son and that adopted son would have all of the legal rights and privileges of a natural-born son. An adopted son would have all the legal rights and privileges of a natural-born son. And what is a, a legal right or privilege of a natural-born son? He becomes the heir. An inheritance. He receives the inheritance from the father. He has a right to that inheritance because he is an adopted son. The government can't come in and seize the adoptive father's land or money or possessions because the adoptive son has a legal right to that land, to those possessions. So we in Christ as adopted children have all the legal rights and privileges of a natural born son of God. Which means that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We as adopted sons receive an inheritance. And so this verse here in verse 11 That we've obtained an inheritance through predestination. It's echoing, it's really the implication of what Paul is talking about up in verse 5. That adoption and inheritance, uh, adoption implies inheritance. And Paul is merely here filling out the implications of what it means to be adopted as a son. Which all of us, even women, are adopted as sons in this very particular sense. That you receive the inheritance of a son, because the inheritance would go to the son in the ancient world. But notice here in verse 11 that Paul does not merely tell us that we have been. that god so so here's the thing god predestined us and what was he aiming at well he was aiming at bringing us into his family as adopted children he was aiming at our heavenly inheritance which means that god has been thinking about your heavenly inheritance since before you were born this is something he's been aiming at since before there was such a thing as a moon and stars and mountains and valleys which means that your heavenly inheritance is certain. This is not something that God just sort of kind of whipped up on the fly, as it were. No, he, he determined, he set a seal of love on you in eternity past, and determined your destination in eternity past. And the destination he was aiming at, literally thousands of years ago, before the foundation of the world, literally... In eternity past, he, he set his seal of love on you and determined to usher you into an incorruptible, undefiled inheritance that does not fade away. This is what he's been, he was aiming at in eternity past, which means that that your inheritance is certain. This is not a last-minute plan, right? You make last-minute plans, and usually last-minute plans fall through because they're not well thought out. This is thought out. We know this because God... What, notice some of the words here. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, so we're... Pre, he doesn't predestine. God does not predestine flippantly. He doesn't predestine uh, in a thoughtless way. He doesn't predestine in a... In a uh, haphazard way he predestines us according according to a purpose and what is his purpose where well, we're going to read about it in verse 12 to the praise of his glory his glory is this purpose so he predestines not haphazardly he predestines according to a purpose of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does the idea of counsel of his will mean? That means that he you think of the idea of a council. What does a council do? They deliberate. They come up with plans. They think it through. They poke holes in things. They deliberate and they come up with a solid plan. And that's the idea here, is that God in eternity past when he was determining your destination he did not do it in a haphazard way he predestined according to his purpose according to the counsel of his will this is a thought out plan and purpose which means that it's certain it's not a last minute plan he has set his sights on this and he has been working toward this and bringing about the fulfillment of this carefully. And Paul, he goes in here and he don't, doesn't just tell us that God has predestined us to receive this inheritance. He, now follow this. He tells us about the one who, does, who predestines us. He tells us something about God here. Look at the, look at the passage he says, in him we have re- obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And then he tells us something about this one who's predestined us. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he tells us something there about God. And what does he tell us about God? That God is the one who works all things according to the counsel of Of his will. Do you follow that? You follow that? God is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, not only do we learn that God predestined us for this end, we learn something about God himself that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And some theologians have argued. Well, many, I think probably most, that this is the most exhaustive statement of the meticulous providence of God in the entire Bible. It's the, the most exhaustive statement. He works all things together for the count, oh, sorry, sorry, not all things together. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, the big things, the little things. It's all inclusive. Everything you think about what Jesus says in uh, I believe it's in Matthew chapter ten where he says that uh, two birds are so, you know two birds are sold for a penny, and yet you know not one of them falls to the ground apart from your heavenly Father so God is sovereign even over the smallest little thing, like a bird, a sparrow falling to the ground. He's sovereign over the little things. Here, let me just read it. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So what, what Jesus is saying is two sparrows are sold for a penny. In other words, the, the divisions of money doesn't go down small enough to be able to pay for just one bird, one sparrow. One penny, two birds. You go to the gas station. I was just driving by the gas station this morning, and I think the price of gas was um, it was $2.00. and. 99 cents and 9 tenths of a cent. Why do they put the... Why do they do that? Are you going to go to the... Uh, I'm not going to pay that 9 tenths of a cent, right? I want to go to the other gas station where, you know, it's 8 tenths of a cent. Because, um, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned or a tenth of a penny saved is a penny earned, right? Right? Um, our divisions of money don't go down that small. You're not going to say, "I don't want to get gas there. I can't, I can't spare that." You know, I want my change back, my eight tenths of a cent back. You don't do that. Well, Jesus is saying the same thing about sparrows. They're sold for two for a penny, and and God, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's sanction. He's sovereign over every little thing that happens. Every little thing. I was just reading in, uh, last night. This is just by uh, doing my devotions. I'm in First Samuel, and it just so happened that I read the the uh, the narrative of when Saul becomes king. And do you remember how Samuel, how Saul got in touch with Samuel, how they ran into each other? Saul's dad, Kish, had a bunch of animals. And Two, or I don't know how many it was, but some donkeys got out. And so Kish went to Saul and said, hey, Saul, go grab a servant and go find these donkeys. Saul was literally on a donkey-finding mission. And he's traveling all over, you know, going all over the countryside looking for these don- donkeys. That's what he's doing. And they were about to go home because they are like, well, these donkeys, my dad's going to be more concerned about us than the donkeys because we've been gone for so long looking for these stupid donkeys. And then someone tells him, well, there's a seer, a prophet, who's right over here, and his name is Samuel. You should go ask him about these donkeys. He can probably help you. And so Saul goes to Samuel, and, and the Lord supernaturally tells Samuel, hey, a guy named Saul's coming looking for donkeys, and he's the one I want to make king. And so Saul goes to Samuel and says, hey, I need to find my donkeys. <laughs> That's a very loose quote. <laughs> he says, I, I can't find my donkeys, and I hear that you can help me. And Samuel says, your donkeys are going to be fine. They're, And then he says, you're going to be the king. He's sovereign over everything. How did God get Samuel or Saul where he needed him to be so that Saul could make him king? Lost donkeys. What we would consider to be an annoyance, a frustration, We would look at that. We would say, "What on? Why did the donkeys get? What a waste of!" You can imagine he was complaining, but the Lord had designed all of it. He's sovereign over every little thing. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things. And not just the little things, but the big things. See, he works the the rise and fall of nations. You think of of uh, of you know ancient Israel, or, or uh, in the book of Daniel. I've been reading the book of Daniel, and in Daniel you have uh, the this statue that's made of gold and bronze and some other things. And it's, it represents all these different nations. The rise of Babylon, the fall of Babylon, the rise of Persia, the fall of Persia, the rise of Greece, the fall of Greece, the rise of Rome, the fall of Rome. All before it even happened. 600 years before any of this happened. And God, sovereignly, he is, remember Psalm 115 he is The Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He raises up Nebuchadnezzar and then he lays him low. And then he raises up Persia and he raises them low. He raises up America and raise, he lays America low. He's sovereign over all of it. This is the one who predestined you to receive this inheritance. The one who works all things after the counsel of his will. What does that mean? It's certain it's certain he does whatever he wants you know Nebuchadnezzar after God laid Nebuchadnezzar low in, in Daniel chapter 4 he says he basically he says God can do whatever he wants he says no one can stay his hand I love that no one can stay his hand in other words no one can stop him from doing what he wants to do that's what that means no one can hold him back when he decides when he ordains for something to happen no one can reverse his hand he does whatever he wants on the astronomical level on the atomic you know atomic level microscopic level every level in between he's doing whatever he wants And this is the one who has predestined us unto this inheritance. Which is a glorious thought. It means that he does whatever he wants. If he's decided, no one can stay his hand. If he's decided that he wants you in heaven, you're going to heaven. That's the end of the story. And I know that some people hear this and they they, they are disturbed by this truth. You know, R.C. Sproul said that there's not one maverick molecule in the universe. Which is a, a great statement. That there's not one molecule doing its own thing, you know, that God is not in control of. That's the way molecules work, if you're wondering. Um, there's not one maverick molecule in the entire universe. And for some people, this is disturbing. They look at it and they say, well, it's not, you make it sound like I'm at the mercy of God, whatever He wants. And the reply is, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's what the Bible says. He does whatever he wants. And some people are disturbed by that. And my re- reply would be, what's the alternative? Do you, do you want to be? Do you want everything to work out according to your will? I mean, I look at my will my desires and I look back in my life and I see if I got my way there and I got my way there, I'd be a miserable. Oh my goodness. We, we can't even assess our needs correctly. What do we need? We don't know what we need. We think that what we need is immediate comfort and fulfillment and satisfaction right now. <laughs> but oftentimes what you need is some heartache sometimes what you need is some difficulty so that you can learn perseverance one time I heard a guy say it was good that I was betrayed because it taught me to put my hope not in men but in God you don't know what you need You look back and you say, you know, you you look back to the day before you were married and you were smitten by some girl or if you're a lady, some guy. And you were thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, if I don't, she's the, she's the one. And there's no happiness apart from her. And God says no. And you look back and you learn things about her later and you're like, oh, wow, thank you, Lord. Dodged a bullet. But you, don't, you don't know what you need. You don't know. You don't know what you need. And even when we do know what we need, we're terrible about bringing it to pass. We know we need to be healthy, but we like tacos and donuts. So what's the alternative? Do, do you really want life to be in your hands. The older I get, the more I am thankful that the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Now, if God, were, if God were malicious, if he were not good, this would be bad news. But the more you study the scriptures and the more you learn about the character of God, the more you find this truth to be a comfort. Because you know, you know that he's good. He's good. He's loving, he's patient, he's kind. His love reaches to the heavens, his faithfulness to the skies. His righteousness is like the mountains of God and his justice like the great deep. He is good. And because of that, when when I know that everything is in his hands, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, that does not disturb my soul. It comforts my soul. I want things to be in his hand. I don't want things to be in my hand. I mess everything up. And you do too. I mean, that's not a knock on you. It's just you're like me. We're made of the same stuff. And what Paul is driving at here is this. It's that, that the one who predestined you to this inheritance He has determined your destination, and this destination is a heavenly inheritance. This one who's done this, he is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will, which means that we can be certain that it will happen. No one can stay his hand. It's going to happen. You can be certain of it. You can be assured of it. You can rest your hope fully on it. Because he is faithful. And he is good. And he has determined it. And he didn't determine it as a passing thought. It was according to the counsel of his will. This is what he's aiming at. And then he goes on in verse 12. And he tells us why. See the word so that. That. He's going to tell us, why did God predestine us to receive this inheritance? What's the purpose? What's the goal here, Paul? So that, what's his purpose? Why did he predestine us unto this heavenly inheritance? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's why he did it. That's why he predestined you unto such an amazing, glorious, future but this passage i think out of all this section this passage is probably this verse has probably been the most difficult for me to wrap my mind around because i read this and i don't know about you but i read this and i say so that we who were the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory and the question that i keep asking is be what what so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be what to the praise of his glory? That we might be holy to the praise of his glory? That we might be loving to the praise of his glory? That we might be what? But if you do, if you study this word be, it just literally means to exist or to live. And this is what Paul is saying that the reason why God predestined you unto this glorious end so that you might exist to the praise of his glory in other words think about what this means it means that you the sinner saved by grace you existing as a child of God a recipient of this heavenly inheritance Other people and the angels will worship God because of the grace that he has poured upon you. That's what this means. Your very existence as a child of God, as a sinner saved by grace, brings glory to God. Because people look at you, and what do they say? Something like this. Only a God of infinite grace would do something like that for someone like him or her. Only a God of infinite grace would send his son to die for a wretch, a sinner like him or her. Only a God of infinite love, infinite grace, infinite mercy would not just forgive them of sin, but adopt them into his family and and bestow upon him and her a heavenly inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. If I was your God, there would be no hope. If you were my God, there would be no hope. Because I'm not that gracious, and neither are you. It's not a knock. We're sinners. Only a God of infinite love would do this for people like us. And so the angels look on, and they worship God because of you. Because of what he's done for you. Because of the the infinite riches of his grace that he has bestowed upon you. Because of the status of being a child of God that he has placed upon you. They wonder. They say, and we look at each other, don't we? We say the same thing. You know, uh, Paul, think about Paul in Galatians chapter 1. Remember what he says at the end of chapter 1. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was a violent aggressor. That's what he says in 1 Timothy. A blasphemer. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 about his conversion. And notice particularly how the people of God responded to his conversion. Okay, you hear that? Notice how the people of God responded to his conversion. Paul says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now listen to this. And they glorified God because of me that's that's what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians 1 verse 12 that we will glorify God I will glorify God because of the grace that he's bestowed upon you and isn't this true when God saves somebody especially out of a a mess and we say look at his grace look at his power look at his kindness look at what he's look at Look what the cat drug in. (laughs) And God picked him up, cleaned him off, and brought him into his family. All of heaven will worship God because of what he's done for you. We are trophies of his grace. We are proof, physical, tangible proof, that God is a God of infinite love and grace in our very existence as children of God proves this fact. How could you pour such riches on such unworthy people? Only if you're infinite in mercy and grace. So let's glorify him for what he's done for us and what he's done in us. And for what awaits us, this heavenly inheritance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, may we be saying in our hearts, singing in our hearts, oh, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Oh, Lord, help us to rest our hope fully on the promise that you've made of our heavenly inheritance. Help us to live in light of it. Help us not to live for the cheap things of this world. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so grateful for who you are. We're thankful that you are the way that you are, that you are not different than what you are. We love you just the way you are, Lord. Because if you were any different, we would have no hope. We're so thankful, Lord. Help us to live out of this gratitude in a way that pleases you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.